Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Today is episode 46, and we're going to talk about turning our hunger for power upside down. Now, you may ask, what do I mean by power? Well, by power, I don't mean the stuff that turns on your light bulbs at night. I'm not talking about the stuff that, that Benjamin Franklin uh, discovered with a kite and a string. <laughs> uh, I'm not talking about electricity, nuclear, or coal. I'm talking about the power that men ultimately have over each other. I asked this out on Facebook just to get a response from people. Uh, and I asked, what is power? What is power to you? And the consensus of uh, everybody from what I gathered from Facebook and a couple people providing feedback on Twitter was that power is ultimately about the ability to freely exercise your will and to accomplish that will with little to no restraint. It's not merely the exercise of your will, might I add, but it's the ability to accomplish that will uh, and to have nothing ultimately resist what it is you're trying to do. Conversely, when we say someone is powerless, we mean that, try as they might, that they ultimately lack the ability to stop one someone from exercising their will, uh, and they lack the ability to exercise their own will over whatever their circumstances that they're facing. I can remember a time, uh, an example, a couple of years ago, my younger brother, he served in the army as an infantryman, and he was home, and he was visiting me, and we were hanging out in my apartment, and I was like, Adam, show me some of the fighting techniques you learned in boot camp, and, you know, being a pacifist <laughs> that I am, kind of intrigued uh, to learn about my brother, the, uh, the infantryman, and uh, the fighting techniques that he learned, especially since I know that uh, as a kid, I had a tendency to dominate him, uh, mostly because I was couple years older than him. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, let's see what, let's see what he learned. Uh, so he decided to show me some of the moves he learned in uh, grappling school while he was in station in Fort Bragg. And he, he showed me a number of different moves, many of them looking like what you would see in your typical MMA fight um, that they ultimately were training the soldiers to use out in the battlefield. But Adam showed me this one move that it's kind of hard to get somebody in order to, you know, get a hold on them to get them in this position. You really have to be up close. And unfortunately, because it's a podcast, I can't show you <laughs> how to demonstrate it. Uh, but, you know, it more or less involved a move in which you ultimately, if you were to grab a person in this way, would ultimately allow you to just utterly dominate them all around the board. Uh, and it involved something along the lines of like, he ended up putting his forearms against a place on my neck. And once he did that, he was able to pretty much shake me like a rag doll. Uh, and he showed me this moving, this amazing maneuver that he did, that he learned. Uh, and even though I had 50 pounds on my younger brother, um, I wasn't able to resist one little bit. <laughs> 
uh, with with him applying the pressure the way he did to me with his arms and neck and how all that worked. Uh, no matter what I did, I couldn't resist what he was doing to me. He had total power over me in that moment. And at the end of the day, I was completely helpless. And, you know, had my brother decided to kill me, <laughs> which I'm glad he didn't, you know, spoiler alert, um, I wouldn't have been able to stop him at that moment. Uh, but thankfully, my brother, he's a nice guy, and he didn't do that. Uh, although he did almost accidentally throw me through the wall uh, in my apartment in the process of demonstrating this move on me. Given such a scenario, though, uh, as my brother being able to just render me, render me completely, uh, you know, useless, <laughs> uh, completely able to, uh, un like, not be able to resist what he was doing to me, uh, I understand why it is that we, we crave power at the end of the day. Power is something that's very primal, ultimately, in its nature. And without it, our lives are ultimately at risk and we could potentially die. So we crave power. And all of mankind is on this nonstop quest, almost in our entirety of our lives, for power. We want to have the power over the elements of our planet, the beast of the field. And at the end of the day, you know, we want power over each other, other individuals. So in some way, power can be a good thing. But at the same time, power kind of gets a little sticky, uh, especially when it comes to our social interactions with others. There's something, though, about our desire for power, I've noticed, that we have a hard time as human beings ultimately switching off. Uh, as a result of us being able to, uh, almost unable to flip the switch and turn the power craving button off, um, we end up craving the ability to exercise power over others even though we aren't faced with life and death scenarios on a regular basis. There are a variety of ways, ultimately, to gain power over people. Sometimes we gain power over others simply by brute force. You know, my brother was able to, you know, just manhandle me uh, like I was nothing but a limp dish rag. And uh, he had the force to be able to do that. He didn't even actually even need to use any strength in his body in order to flip me around like he did. He was just able to leverage certain angles and knowing certain pressure points of the body. And I was just, I was nothing to him at that moment. Um, but you know, if necessary, he probably could have used the brute force he learned uh, and developed over the years uh, <laughs> to take me down. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, brute force is one of the ways we ultimately exercise power over others. But you know, it's not just simply a brute force thing. Um, sometimes we exercise uh, power over others through our killer good looks. You know, you sexy thing, you. <laughs> uh, the sway of a charming personality or uh, the thickness ultimately of our billfold. I like to say at one point uh, I was milking all three in my life and that's how I ended up with my wife. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so yeah, anyway, that was another story. If you didn't check out that podcast, be sure to check it out. Uh, I think it was episode 20 where I interviewed my wife and we talked about our story. Anyway, 
Um, but you know, at the end of the day, you can exercise power over others that way through looks, through charm of your personality or, you know, the thickness of your wallet. Uh, but, you know, others do it by climbing certain social hierarchies, whether it be in academic circles, business, politics, religion. And, you know, maybe at the end of the day, all of the above. Of course, at the end of the day, none of these things are ultimately isolated from each other. Power in one arena often has a way of spilling over into other arenas. And if men ever discover a power vacuum somewhere, at the end of the day, they're more than happy to fill it. We see that often happen in the, the Middle East. We take down some dictator. Uh, we take somebody out of power. And no sooner than we take somebody out of power than we just end up uh, seeing somebody else take over. Even if there's nothing worth taking over. <laughs> there's nothing worth taking over, but the people still desire the power that comes with taking over just the same. Because at the end of the day, we want to dominate other individuals and be lords over them. And once we have power, we usually aren't content with the power that we have. As that power begins to have sort of a corrupting influence on us. Lord Acton famously once said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Left unchecked, we begin craving power for the sake of power alone and we find ourselves in some sort of Lord of the Rings type of situations. I believe Alexander the Great at the end of the day had this problem. It is said of Alexander the Great that he conquered until there was nothing left to conquer. And then he wept for the fact that there was nothing left in the world to conquer. <laughs> there were no more cities to take Alexander. And that made Alexander the Great kind of sad. All over power, folks. Nor was having total power enough for Hitler and Stalin in their own respective countries. Uh, but once they gained total power in Germany and Russia, they decided, nah, you know, we need to expand. We need to make this place a little bit bigger. We need to take over some places next to us. Uh, and we need to find some other nations to rule as well. And that ultimately gave us World War II. Our politicians in America, not too different than Hitler and Stalin. They may not kill millions of people like Hitler and Stalin, so I'm not saying, you know, your favorite or least favorite politician, whether it be Trump, Pelosi, or Obama, or whoever. I'm not pointing any fingers at any particular individual. Uh, I'll let you do that on your own time. Um, but our politicians ultimately do this as well. You see it. It starts young in their political life. Individuals start off as someone who decides to run for town council. And then town council is no longer enough. And they decide, hey, I, it would be better if I were mayor. And once they become mayor, they decide, hey, you know, I kind of have senate or governor aspirations. I, I should try to be that one day. And then finally, maybe after 5, 10, 20 years or whatever it is, they decide, you know... President sounds like a great first name. <laughs> I think I'll become one of those. Uh, and all along the way, on their rise to the top, from the little lowly you know, council member all the way to the president of the United States or whatever branch of government they end up serving, all along the way, they attempt to expand their authority and the power 
with whatever branch of government they happen to be in. And as a result, one branch of the government always seems like it's fighting with another branch of the government over the extent of the reach of its power. You know, the Senate's always fighting the president, and the president's always fighting the Senate, and somebody's always fighting the judiciary. And at the end of the day, they all get bigger. (laughs) The, The power of the Senate is expanded. The power of the judicial branch is expanded. The power of the presidency is expanded. It seems to happen this way every single time somebody new comes into power. They all decide, you know, I really need to knock down a wall over here and I need to make it this much bigger, you know? And well, guess what? This isn't just a problem for Hitler and Alexander the Great or American politicians, but we see this happening in corporate America. People pursue promotion after promotion and attempt to climb higher and higher up the proverbial ladder. And most people, at the end of the day, I believe, simply do it to better their lives financially so that they can provide for their families and have some creature comforts. I don't, I don't think most people attempt to climb the corporate ladder in a, uh, you know, just to, to pursue power. But <laughs> there comes a point where some people decide they can't be content with being financially successful and maybe having a job they like. Uh, instead, they decide, you know, that corner office over there, that looks rather cool. I'd like to sit over there. And man... What I wouldn't give to become the VP of my department. Or, or man, what wouldn't I give in order to become uh, an executive at this company? And man, what wouldn't I give to one day be CEO? Uh, You know, most people stop, you know, somewhere along the $70,000 to $100,000 range and decide, you know, I've made enough money and I'm happy, I'm content. But there's always somebody out there who decides that they need to pursue more and climb higher and higher and higher and higher. Because at some point, it's really no longer about the money. Instead, it simply becomes a a game. A game of obtaining more status and a game of obtaining more power. You know, that's... I remember hearing the story at uh, the Big Bad Bank that I worked for of how uh, a former CEO a couple CEOs ago who got embarrassed in front of Congress after uh, a certain thing happened. Um, But uh, he always had this story that he told um, after being at the company for 20 years or whatever it is he was there. uh, He told about how he started off as as a repo guy. You know, he he came by to repo cars and he started off as a repo car guy at the bank. But over years, he put in time, effort, sweat, blood and tears, uh, and he climbed and clawed his way uh, to the top. Now, I found that kind of an encouraging story at one point. I was like, man, that's pretty cool that I work at a company that would have such a promote from within philosophy. And that, you know, if you really want to, you can go as high as you want. You can go all the way up to CEO. But, you know, eventually the CEO would leave uh, the bank and surrounded by much scandal um, after soiling not only his reputation, but the reputation of the company I worked for. 
and uh, you know, kind of looked like a fool in the process and made a bunch of people look bad. And I can't help but wonder, had this guy not done that? You know, maybe the scandals would have never existed to begin with. You know, if he hadn't been an individual who was all about climbing uh, the corporate ladder and putting together all these strategic mergers to make uh, the bank bigger and badder and him more important and more powerful uh, to build uh, the bank that I work for into this massive empire so that it's now one of the biggest banks in the nation. Had that climb and ascent never happened, you know, makes me wonder, you know, maybe we wouldn't be <laughs> trying to salvage our reputation like we are presently. Of course, I might not have a job at the said big bad bank, so I have to do I do have to consider that. But you know, I think I would have landed a job somewhere eventually. And I wouldn't have had to necessarily be where I am. I'm very glad to be where I am, don't get me wrong, and I'm thankful for uh this particular individual and the impact he had on the company to make it successful to the degree he made it successful. But it's interesting to see how, you know, with his promotion after promotion and clawing his way all the way up to the top. And then sitting in large and in charge of one of the biggest and baddest banks in the country. Um, you know, I can't help but think his quest for power uh, and the prestige that came with it and the success that came with it. I can't help but think that this somehow negatively influenced things just a tad bit. So we have these problems with conquerors like Alexander the Great. We have this problem with politicians in America today. We have this problem with corporate America and becoming CEO and, you know, being all that you can be in, in business and being a titan of industry. Well, unfortunately, you know, I've, one thing I've also noticed, all these problems that I've named so far, they exist in the church. And I say that as somebody in the church. <laughs> I've seen it time and time again. I've been in the church for, gosh, I've been a Christian now since I was 16. So that puts me at 21 years. Uh, and I've been in the church just about as long. Been active in ministry in a variety of roles. Went to Bible college, went to seminary, have lots of pastor friends. Uh, been very engaged in the years in quite a variety of roles and volunteering. Um, and, you know, I've noticed a sort of pattern that has developed. Youth pastors, they start off, that's usually where you start off in ministry. You start off as a youth pastor because nobody trusts you to do anything. <laughs> but you start off as a youth pastor, but after a couple years, usually on average about a year and a half to two, uh, for most youth pastors, you kind of get this itch and you say, you know, I'm tired of being a youth pastor. I've put in my time. I've put in my dues. Um, you know, I really feel God's calling me into a, a new season of ministry and I, I really think I need to become an associate pastor. And so you take the stepping stone from youth pastor to associate pastor. And after a couple years of being an associate pastor and not liking that job very well, uh, a lot of people don't. People get burned out in that highly. Uh, and they get all the junk that the senior pastor doesn't want to do. <laughs> um, but then they eventually feel the need to become senior pastors. And usually when they become the pa a senior pastor, they usually have to start over again at a small church. Usually you don't go from uh, associate pastor to senior pastor and be a senior pastor of a big church. Usually you, usually, not always, but usually that means, okay, you become senior pastor by yourself somewhere at a small church. Well, you do that for a few years and you say, man, I really feel the need to grow this church into something bigger. You know, we got to do something great for the glory of God around here. You know, as I think about the goodness of Jesus, 
and all that he has done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God. And then, you know, if you're lucky uh, and you're successful and you get a lot of good people to rally behind you and, and the finances are right, the church gets big enough and becomes big enough to be kind of uh, almost mini-denomination. You decide to start, you know, multiple satellite campuses spread across a large geographic area in which things are live-streamed, piped in every Sunday to all sorts of locations so people can watch from wherever they're sitting in your county, in your state, or even several states away. And if you're lucky enough, you'll do that and you'll be successful and you'll build your religious empire and you'll have all the power that you want. Hallelujah! At the end of the day, all of this is simply the way of the world. And it seems so common and it's such a familiar story to all of us that it's, you know, you're probably even wondering why I bothered to even explain it to you and tell it to you to begin with. You're like, okay, Jimmy, I know, I know this story. I'm not ignorant. I, I know history. I, I, know, I know the world. I know how all this works. But you know, at the end of the day, I really felt it was necessary to elaborate on the way things are simply so I can show you the ways of Jesus. You see, Jesus taught us in the Gospels that he came to turn our concepts of power Upside down. Jesus said in the kingdom of God that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And instead of leaders being power-hungry individuals that exploit others for their own personal gain, Jesus said leaders in the kingdom of God would ultimately be the servants of all. And in establishing his kingdom in this world, Jesus didn't establish his kingdom by the traditional means by which men establish kingdoms in this world, like Alexander the Great. He didn't do it through violent conquest. He didn't do it through setting out in a bunch of bloody religious wars in which he sought to take over people and convert them at sword point um, and, and use all sorts of violent force in order to get them to follow him. Uh, and to convert to the religion that he established, and to get people to acknowledge him as Messiah. Jesus didn't do any of that. And neither did Jesus form these things like we see today here in America, where we have these coalitions of political power, infused with rich and wealthy businessmen, or from some sort of mob, uh, uh, or some sort of democratic you know, society. Jesus didn't establish his kingdom through such ways. He didn't establish it through wealthy businessmen and political powerhouses. And he didn't do it by stirring up the mobs and uh, get them to all of a sudden proclaim that he was king. Although they did try that once. <laughs> Instead, Jesus conquered the world at the end of the day through the power of his cross wherein he voluntarily laid down his life in order to establish a new way of life for all of humanity. And in flipping the tables of power over, he established a kingdom in which the lame, the poor, the weak, and those on the margins would not only be welcomed, but the center of everything that that kingdom is ultimately about. The kingdom that Jesus established is not one that triumphs through might and force and domination, but finds rather power through weakness. It's a kingdom that rules not by devouring others, but through simply continually emptying yourself in the ways of love. So in conclusion, where do we go from here, folks? If you buy into what I've said, 
there's going to ultimately be some things here you're going to have to work out in your own life as to how you apply this. But one thing's for sure, the way you approach life, church, work, and politics can never be the same. And if you find this way of thinking ultimately foreign to you is kind of different, you know, something you might have to, to think about a little bit, I promise that it'll also be <laughs> foreign to everyone around you. And even sadly, today, it's foreign to our way of thinking in the church. You might upset some religious folks, some pastor folks, <laughs> in this kind of talk, uh, in this kind of thinking, in this kind of way of living. Um, because, you know, frankly, so much of what we do in the church in America day, today is, you know, in, the, in the, the ways of the world when it comes to power. Um, we, we, get we get along with money. We get along with politically important individuals. Uh, and uh, we seek to grow our little religious empires in which we place ourselves at the center of it all. And it's especially, you know, a common staple that you see here in evangelical Christianity today here in America. It's something I see and wrestle with here in the South a lot. Uh, we have lots of little powers, pockets of uh, church stuff going on, especially here in Charlotte. <laughs> Boy, do we have it here in Charlotte. You know, the town that Billy Graham is ultimately from. Uh, and not to sit here and knock Billy Graham by any stretch of the imagine, but, you know, there's been a lot of uh, little pockets of power to pop up throughout our churches in which, uh, you know, people... You know, get treated like evangelical royalty who are, you know, at the end of the day just concerned about growing their little religious empire and profiting off the name of Jesus. Um, you know, it's, it's there, folks. It's there. It's something you're going to have to wrestle with. It's something I wrestle with. But, you know, it's something that I attempt to wrestle with, not by saying, well, if they're going to play those games, I'm going to play by their rules as well and just resorting to the ways of the world. But it's something I've chosen, at least for myself, to be an individual who decides to, instead of just seeking power and position and prestige and trying to make a name for myself and to be some sort of hot shot, uh, you know, I simply look for whatever way that I can serve, uh, not only my church, but uh, those in my community, those out there on the internet, who whoever may be listening to this at jimmystable.com, <laughs> you know. And I, I seek to try to embody this upside-down way of living in my life, not only in the church, but uh, in the way I approach my work, you know. I've climbed up the corporate ladder a little bit at work over the years. Pretty high-ranking underwriter, for lack of better expression. I, I kind of have this, this uh, quality assurance training uh, sort of gig in which, you know, I'm responsible at the end of the day for uh, training up the next group of folks to, to underwrite mortgages at the big bad bank that I work for um, and then auditing them on top of it. Uh, you know, I could have taken that approach of just trying to perpetually climb the corporate ladder and uh, try to make everything that happens there about me, but I don't. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I look at, at it as I have a job to do. I've been assigned to do a certain task and I'm going to do it with 
with all my strength and with all my love and I'm going to empty myself into it and if I have to work extra hours to do it, I'm going to do it uh, and I'm going to go the extra mile and do some more, more than is even being asked of me. Um, but I'm not doing that just simply so I can get ahead and climb on top of uh, somebody else in order to get up to the next rung on some ladder, you know. I'm pretty happy with where I'm at. I'm kind of reached the point of my career where I think, well, you know, I might be here a while. Uh, and I'm not just going to climb for power's sake, you know. I would encourage you to try to take that way at work, too. And maybe you're a manager where you work. Maybe you're a low-level work director, manager, or, you know, department manager. Or maybe you're even an executive or in charge somewhere. Well, don't look at the people underneath you that... that you know, answer to you at the end of the day is, is people who just report to you and, and do what they do, whatever it is you tell them and, and micromanage them in some sort of way. Instead, have the ways of Jesus in your heart to where you sit there and say, you know, these people aren't here just to meet my objectives and whatever, do whatever it is I tell them to do. I'm here to help empower them to become the employee that they need to be so that they can be accessible at their job. I'm going to equip them with the knowledge and the tools and the talents and, and uh, answer all their questions in order to make them into the individual that they need to be uh, so that they can successfully do their job. Um, so don't just be some sort of boss tripping on your power, bossing around people, telling them what to do. Jesus says that's what godless pagans do. He said, it's not supposed to be that way among you. Flip the table upside down, folks. Don't desire to be the greatest. Simply seek to be the least and the servant of all. And, you know, take this to your personal relationships as well. Uh, you know, if you're a husband, you might consider yourself the head of your house. <laughs> uh, and you're the father of the children, so you're you know, the covering, so to say, of the household, the, the head of the house, um, the king of the castle, <laughs> whatever expression you want. But at the end of the day, don't treat your wife like somebody you can just boss around or your children as somebody you can just boss around. Seek how you can better serve them, love them, equip them, and help them become whatever it is that God has called them to become. And the same thing with the church. If you're involved in ministry, don't sit here and think, well, how can I take this youth pastor gig and become an associate pastor and then become a senior pastor? And then how can I grow my church and become this big, bad church uh, in which I have 10 campuses all over the place and people shower me with money and watch me online uh, and, and flock to, to hear what it is I have to say to them. You know, don't have that mentality. Instead, simply say, hey, what can I do to serve the Lord? What can I do to serve the church? And then be content and happy to serve them there, wherever that is, the rest of your life. And if you're needed somewhere else to do something else, you know, the Lord and the church will make that probably evident to you over time. Uh, opportunity will present itself and, you know, you can seize those opportunities. But don't go into it saying, well, what can I get out of the equation? What's in it for me? Uh, you know, how can I grow? Um, rather, simply seek to say, how can I better equip the church to be the church uh, and the saints to be the saints? How can I help other people simply be better Christians where they're at? And, you know, whether that is through having a small Bible study at a homeless shelter, hosting a small group at church, you know, maybe volunteering among the youth, or, you know, maybe even becoming a professional minister. 
Um, whatever the case is, don't go into it thinking, what can I get out of it? Sit there and simply think, how can I pour myself into this? How can I sacrificially love those um, whom Christ has appointed me to love? So let me know what you think, folks. How can we apply this upside-down approach to power? How different should that make the way we live our lives and all the spheres of influence that we might ultimately find ourselves in? You know, at the end of the day, I'd love to hear from you. Jimmy at jimmystable.com. Reach out to me. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I enjoy hearing from you throughout the week and interacting with you guys. Uh, you, you help make my podcast a better podcast. Um, and, you know, if you've enjoyed these podcasts that I've been releasing now for just under a year, today was episode 46, I'd ask that you not only subscribe yourself and like, but I'd also ask that you take a moment and share. Did you hear this podcast today and say, that? yeah, that really resonates with me. I like that. I'd like to bless somebody else in their life and, and share it with them. So email them. Send them an instant message. Send them a text message. Hit them up on Facebook. Share it with them online. Uh, let everybody else, you know, share in the blessings that you're getting to enjoy, uh, ultimately through these podcasts that I am putting together. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, turning our hunger for power upside down. Episode 46, Jimmy's table.com. Hope you've enjoyed. God bless and take care, everybody. Have a good day. Air smudge.